We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parham and Brian Rippey here with you. On this, uh, I guess, Friday, we're recording on a Thursday evening to get started. A couple things happening in the world of college football and the world of Ole Miss athletics as well. A new uh, a new collective, a new NIL vehicle for Ole Miss was announced today. Also, uh, we haven't talked to you since the NCAA has said they're recommending waiving the one-time transfer, but not that the transfer is going away, that there could be an unlimited number of times that you can transfer, some windows around that. So we'll hit that in a couple of quick things here with you on this edition of the show. A show brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Get your uh, Exxon mobile app downloaded. You can do that by taking a picture of the QR code right there at the pump. Or you can just go to the app store, download the, the app. 1,000 bonus points, 10 bucks off the tank you were filling up at the time with the Oxford Exxon and all Blue Sky locations in Mississippi. Make Oxford Exxon your dinner one night this weekend. The ribs, the, the wet or the dry, call ahead. They'll wrap them up, have them ready to go. For you there with all, again, all Blue Sky locations in Mississippi. I'm in the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900. That's in Amory, Mississippi, Highway 25 South. Corey wants to be your truck guy, wants to be your car guy, and he will take care of you. Give him a call no matter where you are in the car buying process, and you will be a little farther by the time you get off the phone with Corey. So, again, 662-257-1900. And all guests are on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline, Raptors on the Square in Oxford, also Raptors on the Water. It's raring and uh, full of people right now in the middle of summer out there in uh, in Sardis. So take the boat out, head out, have a big weekend. Raptors on the water as well as here in uh, in Oxford. Brian, you've been busy. You've got, uh, you got, well, I say you're getting settled. You've actually been out of town. You're going out of town again, but you're, uh, you're, you're back local and busy at work these days. Yeah, we're in, I'd, I'd say, in the process of getting settled. So my clothes are here. I've started this new job. I've been on the job for, I guess, that would be eight or nine days now. Had a little company mid-year retreat in Atlanta in between, which I brought a ton to the table having been there for four days when we entered the conference room for that. And now I have to go back to Dallas this weekend to kind of put my stuff in a box and then move back here. So we're uh, we're moving and shaking, but it is good to be back in Oxford. I mean, I, I have been back here for the better part of two weeks. So like, I guess I can say I live here at this point. It's been uh, It's been different, I'll say. You weren't gone long enough for there really to be a lot of like changes necessarily. There might be like a couple restaurants open or not, but I mean, I, well, I I say that, I say that you and I did go to dinner last week and you took a wrong turn to get to the (laughs) restaurant, which was a little strange considering you spent like six years here as as an adult. So that's probably more about my driving prowess more so than how far I was gone from Oxford. And honest to God, when I lived here, half the time when you're trying to take that cut over by like the dorm in Stockard and you have that one exit that takes you like out towards the golf course and lost pizza. And the next one takes you up by like the public pool. And then if you take a left, the other one, and now that, you know, they changed all that up now to where it doesn't go through. I took the wrong one, but uh, yeah, not much has changed. I was talking to Colin about this the other night. 
it's like I drive through town and I'm like, well, that's not what that used to be. Canukins is gone. Like, what the hell is up with that? All kinds <laughs> of stuff on the square. But then the town is the same, but like different stuff in different when like in you know different window shop stuff like that. Where I'm like, well, that wasn't the case. Um, what was that place? MC and I used to love to go to Canteen. That's yeah. not there anymore. It's another place that's kind of the same thing from what I've gathered. So like different stuff, but the same thing. Um, no traffic is a huge plus. Going home for lunch is a huge plus. Um, leaving at five and being on your couch at five ten twenty is a huge plus. I'm enjoying it so far, but uh, different, but the same. I'd describe it. What was your typical commute in the Metroplex? So, look, there's a lot of pluses to living there. I really enjoyed my time there. I had a ton of fun. Like, I mean, I had like a four-week stretch where I went to a NASCAR race, two PGA Tour events, a Rangers, and a Star game. And I was like, okay, this is living the life. Now, we, I'm not – look, I, the Grease company didn't pay me that much. We scored some free tickets. We finagled some stuff out there. But anyway – my like commute honestly was so I lived in uptown Dallas and I had an office in Irving, which is not that far out and traffic going out in the morning. is not terrible. So you're talking 25 to 30 minutes. I know that doesn't sound great, but on the way back, it's 55 to an hour because of traffic. And then MC lived in Fort worth. And if I'm going to Fort worth, it's 55 on the way in and an hour five on the way back with traffic. So it, it's, there's no traffic here, which is nice. Yeah, Jackson Avenue. It can't be. It's not perfect at times, but it's nothing like you were dealing with on the on the interstate out there. That's for that's for damn sure. So uh, I'm never you know, mfing someone for missing a light ever again. <laughs> I'm not. I'm 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 counting my blessings. So you had the best line of this because Dennis died, the first person to put it out on Twitter yesterday, and you said, "Hey, is that just Dennis and Dennis, or is this real?" I said, "No, it's very real." But that's a that's a, it's an apt question that you that you had there. The NCAA putting out. Uh, its release on um, transfers on, I think they call it like student athlete well-being or something is what they titled the thing. But essentially I have it up here in front of me and it says the council endorsed, and this is the division one council, which recommends things to then be voted on. So this is not a law yet. This is not a rule, but when these things get approved to this level, you know, it's at least a possibility that this is where this is headed quickly. So the council endorsed a concept that would eliminate the blanket rule prohibiting transfer more than tra- transferring more than once. The concept would also implement transfer portal entry windows or periods of time in which student athletes must provide their school with written notification of transfer to be eligible to compete immediately the following academic year. For winter and spring sports, students could provide written notification of transfer the day after NCAA championship selections in the sport for 60 calendar days. In fall sports, two separate windows provide a total of 60 days, those being from 45 days beginning following the championship selection and from May 1st to May 15th for the second window there. So in, uh, in, in non-legal terms, a player would be able to, as long as he could stay academically eligible, transfer as many times as he wants. It removes the need for a waiver, which, look, I think it's pretty clear on all accounts that student athletes were getting more waivers, that the NCAA was not stepping in front of a lot of things anyway. But it's a hell of a different change to say, nope, you can just transfer automatically. And then the second part of that with the windows is really interesting to me. There's a couple different ways to break that up. So we'll we'll hit that in a second. But just in general, Brian, you know, Ole Miss's recruiting strategy has been built on the transfer portal, on getting so many in football, so many transfers, but also the fact that once you get the transfer, you know that person's kind of locked in a little bit. You know, you've got them to the point that they finish their eligibility or GoPro or whatever. On first blush, do you feel like this potentially changes the effectiveness of what Ole Miss is doing because you have to still recruit and maintain those relationships of guys who have already transferred because they can leave again? I don't know what to think about that. I was actually going to – I mean, you kind of posed the question I was going to throw back at you because – Ole Miss hasn't with, – with the way they've done this transfer thing so far, it's been a lot of one-year guys, right? Chance Campbell. Um, I'm forgetting the Navy kid already. My God. Jacob Springer. Excuse me, Jacob Springer. Um, and a lot of guys like that, you haven't seen a lot of guys make multi-year impacts from the transfer portal yet. And so I don't know the answer to that, but it is a fascinating dynamic from the standpoint of you talking about, like, does this kind of – eat into the effectiveness of what they're doing because like when you think about it through the lens of just like their quarterback situation right it's Jackson Dart and Luke Altmaier competing for the job today 
I think it's a much more legitimate quarterback race than maybe some in the national media wanted to let on. There was a lot of, uh, I don't know if you noticed this at media days, there was a lot of uh, 2020 Plumley corral vibes toward everyone asking about Jackson Dart, but not understanding the situation. Not a perfect scenario, but be that as it may, whatever. Wilder and I always would kind of get back to the point where it's like, well, did you really go get Jackson Dart to have him sit? But the contrary mm-hmm. to that is, where's he going to go? He used his one-time free transfer. So if you want to play Altmaier and he's the better man for the job, you shouldn't give the job to Dart just based off the fact that, hey, he's the guy we brought in because where the hell is he going to go? Well, now he can go anywhere the hell he wants if this becomes a thing. And so just from that like simplistic way of looking at it, I do think it probably has to diminish the effectiveness of it to some degree. But with the way, like, how much change is there actually going to be? Because you've seen guys, and we're new into this one-time free transfer thing, but I just feel like there's so many ways to finagle the rules nowadays. If you want to transfer a second time, it just has seemed like there's a way to get eligible. Like, how many guys do you know that just mm-hmm. have actually gotten stuff? Like, I know Tate Martell was a little bit before this, but my God, that guy went to five schools. So I think it probably diminishes it a little bit. But the roster turnover nowadays in college football is so immense year in and year out. I don't think it'll change a ton. And honest to God, particularly if you're winning and particularly, I wanted to do a story on this, honestly. The guys I've talked to for some of those Grove Collective interviews with Kiffin, anytime you get them on a question about, hey, I know they have to sell you a bunch of crap in high school, but Kiffin's transfer portal pitch seems to be particularly effective. They just rave about it. The no nonsense of like, hey, here's what we need to do. Here's how you can help us. And here's how we want to get you to the next level. I think that part of it's still effective. And so as long as you're winning and said person you're using to transfer is actually making an impact, it probably doesn't change a ton. But at the same time, you'd probably be naive to think it doesn't change anything at all because, you know, first unhappy guy just leaves or gets more NIL money. That's what it leaves you susceptible to. Look, it's with a lot of things where if you think if, – if, if in practicality something is not really a rule, but on paper it's not necessarily legal either, it does stop or prohibit a certain amount of people or whatever the entity is we're talking about from doing it simply because it's not permission-based. And right. it's something you still have to fight. When it becomes permission-based, it does change how many people take advantage of it because it is it is easier for them to wrap their brain around to know they are they are opening the door and letting me take this path for whatever's going on. But I'm with you that you weren't stopping a lot anyway. Kids transfer typically to play. It's hard to get unhappy when you're playing immediately and going again. I mean, you're not going to see a ton of that. And the windows I like for the most part. I mean, you can sit here and look at the football window, and I don't know what is considered um, following the championship selection for football. I'm assuming it's when they announce the bowls. So, you know, the day after the championship games is what we're talking about here. And we're talking about going for 45 days, which gets through, I guess, most of December and most of January. That's not the worst thing in the world. It allows coaches to then know, okay, this is closed off, and then you go from there. And then from May 1st to May 15th, which makes tons of sense because that's after spring football. That's a really big one because you're talking about guys who see what their their situations are at that point. Now, it's also worth mentioning, look, this is entry windows, not that they have to make their decision during these windows. This is simply when they would have to leave or be in, moving into the portal to then make their decision whenever they want to. They don't necessarily have to have their new school during those windows. They just have to be in the portal during those windows. So that is a little bit of a change there. Well, how much of that is just a rule in theory? Um, I kind of think of the Deion Smith thing. I don't know. I don't remember when he actually entered his name in the portal and all that. But I think the transfer windows in theory is a good idea. But without knowing anything about this, and I haven't really read a ton on it so far today either. I just kind of sat down for the day. But, like, what's stopping a kid from being pissed off and saying, Hey, I'm going to transfer, but not actually entering the portal and just kind of making it known social media, whatever the case may be. I don't know. Maybe they can punish them. I have no idea, but like what's stopping a kid from saying, I want to transfer. And then, you know, the paperwork and the actual logistics of it, not actually happening. I mean, I think it's a situation to where if they miss the portal entry window, they wouldn't have immediate eligibility. They would get referred back to the old way of transferring where you would have to sit out for a season 
Because I do that's the thing. Like they're giving the players so much power here in these that I do think if they don't follow this level of protocol, you are susceptible to getting popped and not getting your waiver or not being able to just free flow at the point. I think they're basically going, look, we're giving you everything you want here as far as how to make this happen. So stick within these very vague rules and just go do it that way. So no, I do think that players will have to enter during these windows. I think those will be pretty concrete. I think that's going to be pretty stringent. And another part of this that's not really mentioned very much, but I think this is this is kind of fascinating. The NCAA has a paragraph at the bottom that says, additionally, schools that accept four-year transfer students receiving financial aid will be required to provide financial aid to student-athlete through the completion of his five-year period of eligibility or undergraduate graduation, whichever comes first, unless the student transfers again or enters a professional draft. So the student would continue to count against roster and financial aid limits unless the student is medically disqualified, exhausts eligibility, transfers, or enters a professional draft. Look, you can't cut a kid because of competition level right now. You can't just tell a kid, hey, you're not good enough and, ca- and cut him. But you do have a lot of situations where kids just decide to pull out, where they decide to be students, especially non-football. I mean, baseball, you see this all the time. You're talking about a deal now in counting sports where if a player just decides, you know what, I'm not cutting it and I'm not doing it unless it follows one of these little loopholes we're talking about. And maybe they maybe we start seeing runs of medical eligibility issues where they just find a way to tag a kid with a knee injury or something. But if you don't do that, that kid is stuck on your financial aid class the rest of his years remaining at that point. I mean, that that could be a very significant thing that could hit a, that could hit a roster with a couple of kids. That's a great point. And honestly, that when you were outlining that, the first thing I thought of was my guy, Ryan Frat Cannon. He could have just had his school paid for for the last two years. Like a guy like that. Mm-hmm. And look, and I guess, like you said, there's probably a way to just say, hey, kid's got a knee injury. Like it is what it is. And I don't really necessarily. Well, I don't know if the kid, I mean, that's an interesting point because the kid wants to be a student and wants to continue to have his school paid for, but the school wants to kind of medically disqualify him that would mean his school is no longer paid for so that could actually get pretty contentious I, yeah it's fascinating i'll throw a question back at you from we're now a year out from the ncaa kind of finally just saying hey you can't have any of our money but you can go make your own and just opening up the floodgates of this nil thing why are they doing this like is this waving a white flag you know they it seemed like for the last year they opened up this floodgates for nil and then they were trying to kind of put up this facade that they still have control of this despite everyone with a functioning brain knowing they're not now they're doing things that are basically just kind of saying hey we have no control over this whatever type of thing like this is like if you're the ncaa was a person this is like the ncaa like zen guy who just is showing up drunk to work because he doesn't have anything else to care about like why are they doing this I, that was the most shocking piece of it to me that they would approve something like this Cause you're a week on the heels of a guy like Kendall Rogers reporting that, you know, they're voting on no more props in the dugouts. You're like, ah, they're back on their normal type stuff. Why are they pivoting in this direction? Why do you think that's happening? I think they're realizing a, they're having a hard time stopping it anyway. They were also the waivers had become so large, such a deal of getting passed. And they frankly, they don't have as many enforcement agents anyway. They don't have the manpower to handle all this. So anything they can do to sort of run through the process, don't hold it back. They've been very – it's one of the few credits I'll give the NCAA is they're aware of how ridiculous the timetables had been taking to get through decisions and how long it was taking to do things. So they're very up for anything that will streamline the ability to allow movement that they don't have to certify or rubber stamp at any point. And I think that's part of what's going on here. It also, they want the windows. Everybody wants these transfer windows that are very important. To get those, you had to sort of give the player something too, in my opinion. You had to even it out. So by going, hey, you're restricted to these windows. Yeah, but look, you're not happy. You can go again. Go again. Feel free. Go. Transfer. Have at it. But I don't even see this being as much of an impact in football because like you said, you're getting a lot of single-year transfers. You're getting – two-year, three-year transfer guys that are moving quickly and playing. And, I mean, that doesn't you – know, they're still humans. They're not robots. I mean, if they're enjoying the place they're at and they're playing and it's going all right. I mean, you know, I, 
Otis Reese wasn't looking to transfer as soon as he got to Ole Miss and started playing a little bit. I'm using a bad example because I know he sat out, he had to sit out a little bit. But point stands also because of what you're talking about, because of the ridiculous waiver times. Exactly. And then the point being, though, that um, lost my turn. Oh, no, sorry. Football is not hit on this as much as I think this is actually more chaos for other sports. I mean, take baseball, for example. Look what a 60-day window would be. So you're talking about for winter and spring sports, 60 days from the day after their championship selection, which that would be Memorial Day for baseball. That is when they do the field of 64. That is around June 1st-ish, something like that, a couple days before. So you're talking about a roster being in flux from a kid getting in the portal all the way through July meaning he can get in the portal 10 days before he's supposed to be reporting for fall practice. He can wait until 15 days after the draft to get in the portal. And here's the better thing, and this is changing a lot in baseball, and I'm not going to use names because I'm not going down that road right now, but there is more tampering going on in baseball than ever before. It's no longer this, hey, we're all getting along and it's a gentleman society and blah, 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 blah. And we're not recruiting anybody who's committed to other schools. No, we're talking about NIL money going, hey, if you want to transfer to state school X, we'll give you 100 grand. We'll give you 150 grand. We'll give you 75 grand. Why don't you come pitch or play shortstop for us instead? Well, now at least that's been going on. That Look, that was going on everywhere. I mean, I'm not picking out one school. I'm talking everywhere over the last few weeks. Now you're having to protect your entire roster from tampering through the end of freaking July. I mean, you're talking about a whole summer now of trying to make sure John Doe and John Smith, who's your Saturday starter or your second baseman, isn't getting plucked by somebody to go play or pitch for them at some point. And it's a lot. It's why baseball is so dumb when across the board with how their rules are conveyed. You're having to do that with two or three coaches because you don't even have a third full-time assistant. To help out with that. So let me go recruit my class. Let me handle all the kids that are going in the draft. Let me figure out how to make that work on 11.7 right now because that new rule is not into effect yet to increase scholarships. And then also let me make sure that my starting shortstop and my pitcher is not getting plucked by a division rival and protect all them with NIL and just making sure they feel good too while I have a few extra hours in my day. I mean, baseball is what it's about because it, it is be starting to be handled like football and basketball from a money and a recruiting standpoint, at least at this level that Ole Miss is in. This has a chance to be complete chaos. I actually think these rules are worse for baseball than any other sport. I think it already is complete chaos, and you just hit on it a second ago. Like, let's not be unclear about this. You're talking about – like, these are not fringe guys. You can talk about guys recruiting other people's rosters. These are actual contributors and core pieces of teams that made deep runs into the postseason. I'm talking about the best players on the teams. Yes. And (laughs) yeah, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. And the funniest part about that is, is like he beat me to this as well. But like the the other side of it, if you're like LSU's third unpaid assistant and you're trying to, whether it's tampering or just recruiting some kid in the portal, it's like, hey, we got like 30, 40K for NIL money for you. It's like, well, what do you make? Nothing, but that doesn't matter. We have 30, 40 K for you. Like, can you imagine being in that position as a quote unquote unpaid assistant? And it's like, Hey, I don't make anything, but if you come pitch for us on Saturdays, you know, why don't you make, you know, a hundred times what I, yeah, make? I, I make 26 grand from camps, but yeah. hey, you're... I made six grand from camps. How would you like to make that per start thoughts? Like, can you come pitch for us? It's just, it makes no sense, but you're right. It, it's complete and utter chaos, but is there was it ever going to go in any other direction? Once you kind of started the one-time free transfer, there's no way it was ever going to go back to oh well now this is out. You know, once you let the toothpaste out of the tube, it's not coming back. And so, I think ultimately it's probably a good thing, but without any sort of regulation, it's an absolute nightmare. And that's just like anything in life in any industry. Any good thing without any sort of regulation is an absolute disaster and probably, you know, eventually self-combusts or, you know, has some sort of tragic piece of it. And I don't know where that goes with this college football, baseball landscape or whatever, but I mean, you saw Lane Kiffin beat the drum. I'm sure you guys have talked about this on your podcast this week. Kiffin doing the whole salary cap, payroll, luxury tax, like those verbs and language he's using is not by accident. 
accident. He's doing that on purpose and he continues to because he's kind of just begging for some sort of regulation to all this. And it probably sounds kind of bitchy and whiny, but it's at the same time legitimate because without any sort of regulations, this is a nightmare. I'm all for kids doing whatever they want and having the same powers as a normal student in terms of transferring and making money off an industry that makes billions of dollars off them. But Kiffin says it all the time, free agency. Guess what? There's a free agency window. A guy can't after week six say, eh, not, not happy with this. I'm a free agent. Let's go sign with Tampa after we play with New Orleans. There's structure in place for everything. And without any sort of structure in place, this is a disaster. It's the frustrating part that I really do understand for Lane, for basically any school. It's not Texas or Texas A&M or whomever's at the top of the NIL chain right now. Is that, yes, you have all the trappings of the money and the contracts and the professional sports from a player positive standpoint. But, yes, there's none of the other parts of it that protects everybody else. And it's – look, it's – but here's the deal. Football saw where this was going, and they did nothing to change it. This was obvious from the beginning that if you give the players ultimate power to make money – and I'm not saying they shouldn't have it. I'm not saying they shouldn't make money. That's not the point. But without any type of, okay, but how do we regulate it to keep it fair all the way on all sides? I mean, no, there's no business in the world that does it like this. I mean, and it's it's what's throwing it down this crater as it continues to go. Because, look, I get it. I get how complicated it is. I mean, we, you and I don't just sit here. And we're not, we don't have the answers. Nobody does. I mean, Sankey can't really give anything clear. Kiffin, none of the coaches can give anything clear because nobody wants to get into employment and unions and profit sharing or anything that would happen if you really take that type of step for real employee relationships when it comes to college football but at the same time when you don't go down that road at all there's just nothing I mean there's there's nothing that keeps these these situations from going where they are so no I understand I mean because I actually I I think it was the wrong word we talked about you know is Kiffin Kiffin has to make sure he doesn't come off like he's whining and I don't think he's whining I think he's just begging for change in some level that's a different deal I mean he, he 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 has the cards that he has coaching where he is. Look, Ole Miss is not in the worst shape of anybody in the country, but they're definitely not Texas or Texas A&M either. And I think he's just going, hey, please, whoever it is that can potentially help us out, will you please help us? Take a break in the podcast to tell you about Johnston Hill Creamery. That's johnstonhillcreamery.com. They make all their cheeses locally and in-house every single day. They've got a great lunch menu. It's available through Fetch Delivery and uh, much more. You can give them a call at 662-419-9201. Our cheese at johnstonhillcreamery.com, a small batch artisanal cheese fermentation, charcuterie, and much more just off Molly Bar here in Oxford. And then uh, go to their Instagram page, tell you about Tasting Tuesdays, all the different information, and then including a video this week of uh, they're making their own homemade cannoli shells to make great cannolis. They've got those in multiple different ways. You can get those over the course of the year. So again, Johnston Hill Creamery, 662-419-419. 9201 podcast also brought to you by Community Mortgage, Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. All underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so you can local underwriting and understand your market. Leader in condo financing, the float down option, and more. You can find Jason at 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Podcast brought to you by Northeast Spark. That's N-E Spark. Spark service people across rural communities. Two packages, the Ignite, the 100 Mbps, or the Blaze. The one gig that powers the Clark Ford Studio, your hometown team bringing you world-class broadband. That's nespark.com, 662-238-3159. Phone service, portal controls, and much more. So, again, call the office for more details, 662-238-3159. Prime Shrimp finished up their uh, their latest offer to you. They gave first-time customers a 50% discount. Several of you took, or many of you took advantage of that. We appreciate you doing that. And remember, even now, if you have not tried it yet, sorry, your first order, 20 bucks off with code MPW for PrimeShrimp.com. They've got five different flavors available for you there. We've been telling you about it for a long time. That's less than 10 minutes. Freezer two plate for restaurant quality shrimp. And then also, if you want something that uh, get in a better quality than a lot of the grocery stores, they've also got their own IQF Prime Shrimp as well. It's what they've been peeling for over 70 plus years. So what you find at the grocery store is just peeled better and with more care straight from New Orleans. So whether it's that or the flavored pouches, you get that on their website, primeshrimp.com. And last but not least, 
GNM Pharmacy, 662-236-2222. They deliver locally in the Oxford area. They offer MedSync to fill your prescriptions the same day each month and take care of you once you're at the pharmacy. When delivering, you have what you need when you need it with GNM or Tyson Drugs on the square in Holly Springs. And with their med packs and their pouches, they give you what you need morning, afternoon, evening. They're individually packaged and ready to go for you. Maybe it's helping parents out, anybody who needs their, medic- their medications better managed. Give GNM a call. They can switch over your medications, take it all easy for you. Again, that's 662-236-2222. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It's it's insane, and it's it's what's a, it's what makes it such a fascinating time that we kind of live in with college sports because you talk about the complete lack of regulation and that no business operates like that. Really, the only comparable is, is like a drug cartel or like Bitcoin. And guess what? Like Pablo Escobar got shot on a Medellin rooftop by a bunch of former drug dealers that literally formed a militia to like take him down. El Chapo's in prison. Like it never ends well. It's complete and total chaos, and you kind of eat yourself from within. And then, I mean, talk to any crypto bro, you know, these days, like, how's that going for them? Like when you have no sort of regulation on anything, it's a complete and utter disaster. And like, again, like you said, it kind of comes off as like whiny, but it's not like no other industry operates this way. And it's not always about what's right and wrong. Like if you really want to think about it from some sort of weird, like Zen philosophical standpoint, is a salary cap actually right? is the fact that you can cap the amount of money that like LeBron James makes and what his value is to the Lakers at $45 million a year or whatever it is. Is that actually right? Yes, no, but it keeps things in order and it keeps you from, it keeps you having a competitive league with somewhat competitive balance. I guess the other example would be like soccer where they clearly have no rules and they just sign the best players in the same five clubs win it every year. I guess that's what you kind of have in college football already. But I guess my point being is it's not purely about right and wrong and the players deserve this. Any sort of money-making operation has regulations on how you can do it and how much you can make to some degree. And we're now entering this space in college football where it was the most regulated, where the players and the laborers were getting screwed. And now they are have all the power with no sort of regulation. And it's just, it's this like seismic shift back and forth that's causing complete and utter chaos. And, it sucks for fans. I get it, but it is fascinating to watch play out on a daily and monthly basis. Like where this is going is insane. You know, 
I don't know where it ends up. I, I do. I told Nilis the other day. I think we end up with at least moderate levels of regulation at some point. Well, you know, put that on a one, three, five. I don't know the years. I don't know when we're getting getting there. But college football will have to try to save itself in a way. And the only way to do that is to have some level of regulation which I think pushes it back into the old days where, okay, everybody kind of hits these numbers and then we go back to all the flooding and the underhand and the black markets and all that, that kind of deal. Because I look, I, I know I'm a broken record. I've said this five times and I'll say it. God knows how many hundreds of times as we continue to do podcasts. You've also got the situation where I think fan investment is going to lower until there's some level of regulation because it's not about winning championships necessarily, but schools want to at least – or fans want to at least believe that they have chances at players, that they have chances to win games on given Saturdays, and it's not the Yankees playing the Oakland Athletics every single time they head out for a game and the, and, and, and the way that's set up, because even that's more fair because they have sets of rules. Um, fans want to not say the quiet part out loud. Fans want to be able to just use plausible deniability and not necessarily about pure or pageantry or anything like that, but they don't want it to be so freaking obvious that they can't get in the game because of booster activity the way it currently is. Because we, as Neil always says, we got to quit calling it NIL. It's pay for play in the aspect that we are discussing right now for it is, is what it is. And I think that that is what ends up turning the tide a little bit is I think football has to shift I mean, not crazy. I'm not saying take the power away from the players. I'm not saying not paying them because they do deserve compensation for their level of ability inside this huge business operation. But you've got to change some things or you not only run the risk of getting into problems with what we're talking about, but you get in problems with fan demand, the money going back into the programs, the number of donors and boosters who are interested at all programs outside of a couple and just the way the sport looks in general. I get that it's changed. I get that everybody goes, no, no, you just got to let it run its course. But I think we're just sliding downhill so far that we're going to eventually hit ground at a really high velocity. I, I, I do – I don't know that it's Congress. I don't know if it's the NCAA. I don't know if it's the SEC and Big Ten banding together on their own and forming their own rules. I have no idea what it looks like at this point. So, in a lot of ways, I'm useless because I don't have an answer. But I don't think that the current model is what will be the model in 2027. You're right. And the, the what's what's a shame about all of this is this was caused by a lack of leadership, right? This was a sport that was kind of run by a sham governing body that had no real power, but kind of liked to flex it in really cheap and petty ways. And then once they let the floodgates open, they'd render themselves powerless. And now you're turning to the federal government saying he got asked a question about this at the beginning of media days. And he kind of He's been, I think there's a reason Greg Sankey decided to go in front of Congress and be like, hey, let's work together on this. Because guess who did that the year before and got laughed at? Mark Emmert. Because no one's ever going to feel bad for Mark Emmert. But he did kind of just beg them to be like, hey, can you do something here? But Sankey got asked a question after having gone up and done whatever hearing he did. I would have respected him more if he had just said, hey, have you seen the people running our federal government? We have no hope for, like, no hope for this. They're all idiots. And it's an election year and they have bigger fish to fry, and rightfully so. So like, I don't know where it comes to. I'm kind of worthless in that regard as well. But there will probably be some sort of self-regulation in some ways, don't you think? I was listening to a podcast the other day, one of those hipster college football podcasts by one of those kind of, uh, I'd say, wanderers between startups frustrated by a documentary that didn't sell. They were um, talking about how that it's a dumb take to say there's going to be a market correction. And I just don't subscribe to that theory. The guy, the, the guys or guys or whoever it is that gave Jalen Rashad or Jaden Rashad or whatever his name is, seven, eight million bucks. What if he sucks? Are the guys that got rich by having that kind of disposable income going to continue to give it to people that don't play for them? Quinn Ewers, the kid at South Lake Carroll um, in, in North Dallas or whatever, six stadium, by the way, he went to Ohio state for a year and now he's at Texas, and he got reported with that record NIL deal. What happened to that money? Did he pocket that? What? Like, I just don't understand. Like the 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 non market correction guy. Half of these recruits don't pan out anyway. They're going to continue to give these guys seven figures to not pan out. That just seems absolutely nuts to me. So I think there will be some sort of correction in that sense. Maybe I'm proven wrong, but I just do not believe that though that you know take take Texas A and M. Let's say that that's pretty much right about 32 million or 30 million or whatever they put into that four year deal with their recruiting class. You can't do that every year. 
I mean, I, I, I don't – and everybody goes, no, no, they can't. No, they can't. They're not the freaking Saudis when it comes to the live tour. I mean, at some point, you can't have a $160 million payroll. Like, it just doesn't even make sense. Because, like you I said, either – throw up their stadium. Their most famous booster went to prison. There's no way that's lasting. Either you don't win enough or the player doesn't pan out or they just don't have the freaking money. There's so many ways where the guy goes, you know what, this is stupid. It's fun right now, and it's new, and everybody's competing against it themselves a little bit. And, look, I'm not saying there's not going to be a shit ton of money for the top guys, but you're not looking at a deal, and I don't think in five years, where you know you average a million dollars per player over four years per per recruit. Like, I just – it just – maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm crazy, but I, that just defies logic for me. It doesn't really make sense. And it it really dovetails into the one of the things I was going to hit for a minute before we left today, which was the new NIL situation at Ole Miss. It is, uh, it is the Oxford NIL Club. It is uh, player-generated. It's run by Yoke, um, which apparently is a business entity that does this thing all over the country. I think Michigan State's was the first one. It's, it's, it's basically a player-led collective um, where they have membership, fan communities, a lot of different stuff anyway. But the gist of it is that whatever money is donated goes to all the different players who have opted in equally. So if you've got 100 players, you've got how much ever money, it just divide it up and throw it out. It's, it's similar to the Matador Club thing at Texas Tech that we talked about the other day that was 25000 for a player. Um, here in day one, it's pretty modest donations. Judging by their website, it was around three grand or something like that last time I looked. Maybe that's gone up. I don't know. Again, this is 941 on Thursday night. But, you know, it's an interesting deal because I've got two thoughts, and I don't even know that we're going to solve them, but I'm going to kind of lay them out there. We'll probably have more podcasts about this topic as, as time goes on, is I've got a really clear positive and I've got a really clear negative on, on this type of situation. And when I say this type of situation, this isn't me – just promoting the Grove Collective or saying go send your money somewhere else. This is a, that's a, not necessarily my point. I mean, I'm talking about these entities, especially when it's based on one sport, that everything is equal to all players. Well, that's not pay for play. That's strictly an NIL program set up in a very legal way that, that it's cool. But that's not solving your pay for play problem. That's not figuring out how to get the recruit that we're all talking about usually when we're discussing NIL. So the positive of these type of organizations is that it creates a minimum salary they know when they sign at Ole Miss the number 60 player the number 85 player everybody all the way down they're guaranteed at least this amount of money and that's a good thing I have no problem with that I have no problem with players getting getting that level of income um, in any way I understand the, the benefit of that and that's not bad at a place like Ole Miss and frankly most all places I mean let's I, I, I'm not, I'm not act like Ole Miss is Arkansas State or some crap where they don't have any cash running through but even to Ole Miss there's not unlimited money for NIL there's not unlimited money for capital campaigns they're trying to run through and let's say this thing ends up doing great and raising $800,000 a year well hey just like you said you've got a promise that that's over a four-year period I mean keeping it up the amount of money that's needed is pretty drastic and pretty high to make it where it's relevant as an amount for these players. But then two is that's $800,000 that's not going into a different type of NIL program that's set up for more recruiting base, that's much set up more for high profile, either portal transfers once they get on campus or recruits or anything else. You're overall diluting your ability to get certain types of players by doing this. So there's a clear, clear positive. There's a very clear negative. And then the second thing, and look, I understand it. I kind of like it as a model. I have no problem with it. But when it's player-led to this extent, the membership uh, options, the things that people are getting when they donate, I get there's like some sign stuff they're giving away. There's some jerseys and stuff like that. Okay, great. But we're talking about, you know, interactions or player meet and greets or some of these things that they're promising. And this isn't criticizing a player. This is any human in the world. They've got to stand by that. I mean, we've had interns that have sucked. We've had players we've been associated with that haven't been as good as other ones as far as showing up for podcasts or showing up for this or that or anything else. What about after a loss? What's that message board community going to look like when they lose a game or one player makes some critical mistake in one, in one way or another? There, there are some flaws in that, in, in that situation if you're really holding to 
the quid pro quo nature of what you get once you donate that I just kind of have questions about. It's one of those deals that looks great around the conference table, but I don't know how great it is in actuality when it plays out in practice. And look, maybe it's awesome. Maybe it works and maybe everybody does fine. I have no issue with that. But if I was sitting there on that executive board or for whatever this foundation is, that would be one of my thoughts is, hey, what are the odds that this is going to run out the way we are predicting it to run out? What does that look like? How does this play out in both directions? So, look, it's a it's a smart – I like the idea of making sure that whatever school you support, you make it where there's a minimum amount of money they know they're going to get, and that starts the, 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 the process of, of getting extra benefits through NIL. But that takes a year-over-year commitment, and that takes a lot of people doing things that are written down they say they're going to do. And just from past experience, I think that is something that is not always guaranteed. I'm even more skeptical than you. I don't think it's a bad thing, but to your point, in a in a way, it's kind of communism in a capitalistic system. Like everyone gets paid equally. Well, that doesn't really work. Why would Jackson Dart or Luke Altmaier opt in when Jonathan Hess is being paid the same? And I don't even I don't mean to like hate on Jonathan Hess or whatever, but like it's probably a decent baseline, but that can never be your main thing. And it could probably be a decent like baseline collective to some degree. But I just wonder what the effectiveness of it is. Like you said, you talked about the player meet and greets and Zooms and whatever the social networking aspect of it is. I don't know if it's a message board. I need to look into this more um, as this kind of popped across my radar today. But like, like you said, what happens after a loss or this nationally run thing is some guy who is on the board of <coughs> who's probably sitting there in Silicon Valley in a vest with the least McLaren. Is he going to make, Jared Ivy sit down for some sort of Zoom interview after a loss. How is that going to happen? How is that going to work? Hell, I've been doing some stuff with the Grove Collective, who's doing a terrific job, but these guys are busy. You know, whether they're committed to whatever or not, it's hard to get them locked down for interviews and stuff like that. And now you're going to have some nationally run thing where the guy's not in Oxford kind of hounding them to do this. And I'm not saying these guys need to be shepherded or whatever, but it's already hard enough. And I just think the organization aspect of it. It sounds like a great idea on paper, and it probably can be to some degree to get everyone a cut of the pie, but uh, you probably should not be banking on your starting quarterback or your starting defensive end um, gaining a ton of funds from uh, Yoke or whatever this is. I think it's a good idea in theory, but you may have hit on this a second ago, but like it's also at a place like Ole Miss with limited funds you got a certain amount of capital, whether it's the guy giving five bucks, 10 bucks or whatever, it all adds up. Are you really going to dilute that into something where everyone gets paid equally to where you can put it in a fund to where, Hey, we're going to put this up based on value. And so this is kind of lacks value in that sense. And I just wonder how long lasting it could be. Yeah. Joey, look, Jackson Dart or Jared Ivey or Luke Altmaier or whomever they can make this not some exclusivity deal. So they can make more wherever they can get it. I mean, you're, you, this is only a minimum. But it's not only a minimum when you have a finite number of supporters who are willing to give to NIL funds. I guess that's my whole point is, in which the point you're making too, is whether it's a million or four million or eight million or whatever the number is, there's only a certain amount of total Ole Miss booster donor-related NIL available. And how you distribute that can go a lot of different ways with a lot of couple different theories out of a lot of different funnels. And you've got to figure out what the best move is to overall help your program and take care of your players and do those things. And that's why it is. It, 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 in, in general, it makes a lot of sense. There are some people that just want to give everything evenly and go, nope, we, like, that's why they you know the Chamber of Commerce has that for all sports where they have an NIL program. And if you give five bucks, that five bucks is, is split between every athlete on the Ole Miss campus. Um, that's the way they're set up and what that purpose is. But that's not the purpose, the way that this pay-for-play thing is going for the way that high-level or even mid-level recruiting is going as well. So it's – I, I want to see a little more. I want to see kind of where it goes over the next week, the next month. Um, but you're talking about three, four, maybe five different NIL collectives to some extent, however you want to put them, running through Ole Miss right now. So uh, it's a it's a new world, that's for, that's for dang sure. Can I be the grumpy old man regarding the social media piece of it too? Consider me skeptical when said company comes in. The fact that, so when you told me earlier today, this was like a nationally run thing. And then I kind of finally figured out what, like what this kind of was from the gist of it, the whole, we're all going to put out the same tweet at relatively similar mm -hmm. times. Like 
that just screamed gimmicky. I'm not going to lie. Again, it's not a bad thing. Like you said, it's good to have these type of things where a lot of it gets split equally and everyone from the guy that gets, you know, his teeth knocked in on the scout team or whatever, get some sort of cut. It just can't be your main thing. And the other piece of that is diluting your resources. Well, it also looks like, it looks like Tennessee might be the one going up tomorrow. I mean, I can't guarantee that she old, but I'm starting to see some Tennessee players also tweet very similar things at the same time. You're getting, you're, you're going to get into a bit of a bidding war that's still going to turn into recruiting because you're going to look at it and go, well, okay, at Ole Miss, they've, they've, they've raised this amount of money at East, at Michigan State, they've raised this amount of money. At Tennessee, they've raised this amount of money. Okay, well, if I go here, here's the minimum I'm making. It's 13000 If I go here, it's 12000 If I go here, it's 6000 If I go here, it's 32000 I mean, so in some ways, they're almost creating this weird minimum wage competition between all the schools because it's all so damn public. Yeah, it is a great way to describe it, the minimum wage competition. I will put it this way, in this ever-changing landscape, is uh, our guys yolk. Are they around in a half a decade? I lean no. No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, my, my, my guess is a negative on that for uh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to go no on that. So. And so, like, what does it end up mattering, right? Like, you're right. Like, the, the, the whole minimum wage aspect of it is fascinating. It's like, well, you know, I can go here and this is my baseline for Yoke or whatever the hell this collective is, or I can go to Tennessee and it's this much more. Like, that is a real thing. I just wonder how much of this is a fad. Um, maybe it happens, you know, maybe it's still a thing 20 years later and I'm the guy that said the internet would be a fad or whatever. But like it just I, I don't know. I just don't I don't see the long term viability while it could be good in the short term. Um before we wind this down though, as I hijacked this pod, can we do like a live segment? Because I did one with Mark Harris last week, but my God, it's a different world we live in. It's all the same every week, it's all the same deal. W- what did you make of man? If Cam Smith goes to live, this is this really sucks. He is one of the few names that would really change the dynamic of this thing. Um, you know, Charles Howell the third going, I get why he goes. He's out of the President Cup, Ryder Cup competition. That dude's all about paychecks. He's mini Matt Kuchar when it comes to that. So, I, I, I get something like that. But a Kim Smith, a Colin Morikawa, somebody along those lines would definitely at least make you stand up and pause because those are also likable people. That's not Kepka. That's not – you know, even DJ to an extent where you're just like, ah, okay, but kind of scummy. It is what it is. That's pretty real. I mean, I, you know, it, it's why I'm, I'm, I'm pretty interested. I've got a podcast. I haven't recorded yet, but I've got it kind of scheduled. I'm going to do a podcast in the next few days with Jonathan Randolph about mm. Liv, about some of those things, kind of get his takes on, on, on what that looks like. So I, I'm, I am reading more. I'm trying to be more up to date on it because of that, what's coming up, but um, it, so far, Liv has made it easy to kind of hate them or disregard them because of the attitudes and the, the Q ratings around the players. But let a guy like Cam Smith makes that jump, and suddenly the PGA Tour has to do more than just put up their little banner ads for the you know during the 3M Open right now that say golf that matters or whatever it is that got up on the PGA Tour leaderboard. Um, I saw this morning. I mean, it it would change the dynamic. So, no, that's lives. If they want to actually put some real ammo into this thing, it's getting likable young talent that is established. Harder said, you know, easier said than done, obviously, but Cam Smith would certainly qualify. Well, what I'm worried about is, so the big two rumors are Cam and Hideki, right? And, like, they, that's, that kind of fits what you're talking about to a T, where it's, it's hard to hate those guys. Well, guess what they did quietly three weeks ago that didn't put any ripple? They saw the number two amateur player in the world in AU Henio Ochara. Mm-hmm. you start getting guys like that that never come out of anywhere else greg norman everyone acted like he was nuts and i'm not pro live i i this sucks as a fan i i hate not having all the same guys i hate a world of professional golf where it's just majors and until they get official world golf ranking points we could have a few years where majors are diluted which would even suck worse but like i'm not a fan of this but everyone called greg norman crazy about saying they're gonna have a world-class field at their first couple events and by April, everyone's like, they're not going to get anyone. This tour's dead. Well, guess what's happened now? Well, he had a quote today that said, we have most of the top 40 players in the world and their representation reaching out to us, and we can't fit them all in. I- I'm done calling him crazy. I-, I don't like him. He's the worst villain on earth. He tried to take down the tour in ni- 1990s and didn't have the funding. Now he has literally unlimited funding. But I'm done calling him nuts. And if and I, I give credence to that. I don't know if he's exaggerating. But the fact that a guy like Cam Smith, that's just kind of a kind of happy-go-lucky Aussie, or a guy that like um, Hideki, like just kind of respect the course, he had the bow at the Masters, like guys like that start turning to live because of the guaranteed money. 
I don't care about the moral aspect. I'm not going to brand Sham Lee anybody here, but it does suck for professional golf. It makes the game worse, and it's a real, real problem to the point where maybe I'm just going off the deep end, but I have started to question what professional golf looks like in the next half decade if this continues this way because the third wave of guys after the British Open and the rumors about what might happen after the FedEx Cup playoffs really, really has me concerned. Well, and Hideki Matsuyama pulls out of the, the, the event in Minnesota today, apparently with an injury. I'm doing air quotes here. Right. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, who knows? And, look, I disregarded it because I understand why he personally did it. But while it's not some likable superstar, the number two enter in the world, Charles Howell, one of the most likable guys on tour, just this mild-mannered dude that's always kind of done it the right way, just cash checks. and you. I mean, he's – Three wins over two decades. Yeah, I mean he's a he, he's a rich man's Brian Harmon, where it's guys you kind of got used to seeing all the time, and you saw, you know, you kind of pulled for them when they're competing at the damn Barracuda or somewhere when they're actually getting in one. I mean it's it's an interesting dynamic. So, look, the number two amateur in the world was a huge deal because that's somebody who's now exclusively on lift. That's where you see this player that everybody knows and is 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 excited for whatever their career potentially looks like. It. There is a path here to this being good for everything. There is a path to the PGA Tour having to actually make some real changes to the way its system works, to dropping some of the arrogance, to some of the things that they did. Because, look, they've got PR on their side. Everybody would prefer if I just won the PGA Tour. Um, Liv is the enemy, but Liv has enough power power and they've got enough money that they can make this uncomfortable to – they've either got to figure out a way to coexist or just explode the whole thing and everybody loses. And I think that's kind of where you're leaning to, as far as at least a possibility that you're scared of, because we're at that point. We are at the point to where I'm not saying you've got to not hold firm on Hendrick Stinson as the Ryder cup captain, or you've got to do all this. I understand all those moves. I have no problem with those from the RNA or the PGA tour, but I do believe you can't just simply ignore Greg Norman, think he's going to go away keep beating your chest and carrying your big stick and thinking that's going to be enough. It just no longer is because they are a couple moves away in some world golf ranking points for to being a legitimate power opponent that is going to be hard to take down. And the stuff about them, you know, have you read any of the stuff about it becoming like a professional franchise where they're giving guys ownership and equity stakes and allowing, you know, permanent teams to be sponsored and then the young guy aspect of it, we talk about the A. A. Eugenio Ochara kid. So Pearson Cootie, the kid from Texas, turned down mm-hmm. the live offer. McKinney kid, I assume just that suburb where he lived, probably pretty well off, doesn't need the money. Well, guess what? He graduated Texas and won on the Corn Ferry Tour three weeks later. He got a check for like 110K. Congrats to him. He's probably going to make the PGA Tour. Um, well, guess what? A. Eugenio Ochara made like seven times that by signing his name to a dotted line. So, like, yeah. at a certain point with kids, like, what what the hell do you do? And if you started getting the young kids going to live, oh, man. I'd love to track down Andy Ogletree. That poor kid's playing the Colorado Open this week because he made one live start and just got completely cast to the side. I'd love to hear his thoughts on it because there is that aspect of it, but there's only 48 spots. So, like, the young kids that are getting this now, well, what happens if a Hideki or Cam Smith comes? Like, well, those kids are now subjected to Asian tour events. Like, I think that within six months, it's going to be 72 holes or at least maybe even 63 holes. And I think they're going to – because I think there's going to be some compromise to get World Golf ranking points. And I think one of the moves is an extended field past 48, maybe not all the way to 150, whatever, or something like that. But, you know, 72 – name your number of golfers i think there's going to be an expanded field and there's going to be an expanded event past 54 holes in the next six months has to right because there's no competitive part of this and the thing they have working against them i listened to this on the british open broadcast the uh jay monahan sits on the official world golf rankings board the head of the rna sits on the official world golf rankings board there's the guy on the yeah. Asian sits on the head the <laughs> that's they're not getting a vote of confidence but they're, they're uh-huh. basically force them in a corner to make them happy. They have to force it in from a public opinion to where you go, hey, look, we've got 21 of the top 50 yes. players in the world or whatever it is. Come on, this is ridiculous. Tell us what we need to do to alter our event a little bit and let's make this happen. The only way I'm changing my opinion is if Hayden Buckley gets like 45 over two years or something, then okay. I'm not around to live, but it, yeah. it sucks. So anyway. Yeah. How, uh, so yeah, for, for now, Davis Riley is still at the PGA Tour. So we'll see what uh, – We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, he was 22 to one to win this week in, in, in Minnesota. So he was plus 2200. So 
there's a there's those odds. But yeah, let's we'll, we'll see again on this network. I'm gonna talk to Jonathan about that here coming up in the next few days and uh, and more. It is uh, definitely an interesting time as the PGA Tour has already adjusted some ball schedule stuff, done some different things to try to assist, but they've got a long way to go to make that anywhere near comparable when it comes to uh, to live. So more podcasts coming to you on the uh, the network. We will have uh, a normal week next week, kind of taking the last couple weeks of vacations, different things. You know, Brian's headed back to, uh, to Texas for a couple of days this weekend as well. So uh, we will have a normal week for you next week. Hope everybody stays safe, has a good weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.